if you're using your Bibles this morning, it is the next to the last book. It's actually the third shortest book in the Bible. It's only 25 verses. And you're thinking, Jude, surely you know more than that. But this is what I think. It wasn't a lack of knowledge, but an intense focus that Jude wrote this. He said, I'm not going to give you a lot of the other stuff. I'm going to give you what you need because what you're about to head into is a battle. It's a war. So take the scripture. Let's read it together. Today we're only going to do the first four verses. It is a seven-week series. Joy, you were right. It's a seven-week series, and uh, we're going to look at it because Jude's going to tell us some pretty important stuff that, that we need to grab hold to. So he begins it like this. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved... In Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, he says, To you, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which once was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men, uh-oh, that doesn't sound good, does it? Have crept. Now, when somebody creeps up on you, is their motive usually good? No. He says, they have crept up on you unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men. Who turned the grace of our God into lewdness, obscene, nasty. Okay? You fill in the blank. What is lewdness? Obscene, nasty. You say, well, what is... You define it. If you think about it and you think, well, that's just obscene, nasty. That's who people were marked long ago to creep in among you for a purpose. And what was the purpose? To deny the Lord Jesus to deny our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, fathers, we open this word this morning. As we dig into this book on the backside of, of Jonah, who didn't want to do what you called him to do, on the backside of love that says love is patient, love is kind, love offers respect. Lord, now as we talk about the days we're living, would you open our eyes fully and help us to see? In Jesus' name, amen. Paul talks to us. I'm sorry, Jude talks to us here. Jude is talking, and when Jude begins to speak to us, he says, I'm going to introduce myself, and he said, I'm going to tell you some things. But one of the things that we know he's already told us from reading is that in the last days, now listen to me, can we agree we're in the last days? Now, can we agree that everybody since Jesus ascended to heaven said, we're in the last days? Yes, so the last days are that period of time from when Jesus left the earth and ascended to heaven and we are marching with great anticipation for His glorious return when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ will rise and those who remain shall follow them. That's the last days. Theologians call it the church age. It's the church age from that moment that Jesus ascended till Jesus returns. And as long as we're in the church age, we people have the opportunity to turn to Christ for salvation. But listen to me. 
Jesus did not want robots. So just as we have the opportunity to turn to him for salvation, he says we also have the opportunity to turn away from him for rejection. Now, it would be really sweet and nice that if everybody who ever spoke only spoke truth, love, mercy, grace, and peace and never offered anything contradictory to us. In other words, we spoke in one voice. We read the Bible and communicated the same things. We looked at what's happening around us and had a like understanding, but that's not the truth. The truth is that people read things, experience things, walk through life, and in the middle of that, they have different interpretations. And God says, I'm going to allow that because I want you to choose me. You see, worship without a choice is not really worship. It's what you're programmed to do. And he says, I want you to worship me because you love me, because you want to, because you have chosen to do that. There's a great anticipation. Now, how would we understand, again, setting the stage in any book study, you want to set the stage for what you're going to learn all the way out. The first thing that we would have to understand is that Paul has told us, I'm just in the introduction now, don't, don't too much on your outline. <clears throat> in the introduction, Paul has told us that there are those who are appointed who are going to come in among us and they're going to begin to teach things that, that draw us away from truth. So Paul is helping us to understand that, that, yes, we already know there's an attack on the church from the outside. And where does that come from? It's the devil. It comes from Satan. We know there's an attack on us from the outside of the church. He says, but watch out. There's also an attack going to come on inside the church. Now, when people of the church begin to teach things that are not of God, that is called apostasy. It is straying away from Truth, delivering a message that is not consistent with the scripture that God divinely gave us. So that's apostasy. An apostate is one who begins to teach that untruth. And you say, have mercy, how did that happen? I don't know, the scripture says they were appointed before sometime long ago to do that. He says, so there's apostasy, there are apostates, there are people out there, there are people that may have professed the faith, but they are not people who have possessed the faith. All right? So here, how does that happen? Well, you sit in church and you have good knowledge, you read books and you have great information, and you know it and you know it and you know it, and you said, I like knowledge, but I don't like surrender. And because I don't like surrender, well, I'm not going to get into the doctrines of the faith that talk about repentance, that talk about profession of faith, that talk about surrendering my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that say daily, take up my cross and follow Him. The scripture that says that to spend time with the Lord by reading His Word, to spend time in the Lord by kneeling in prayer. I don't like those things, so I don't teach those things. And I begin to tell people, well, whatever feels good for you, you believe it. And God says, you know what, I've got a pretty exact prescription for truth. And we're living in the days where people want to say, if I disagree with you, I don't love you. If I speak absolute, then, then I am against you. And God says, that is not the way it is. God says, I have absolute truth. And he commands me to conform to that truth. 
Paul. Is, I don't know why I keep saying Paul, because it's Jude. It's right there. It's not, hey, Paul, it's, hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Apostle Paul warned us that this was going to happen. Now, I didn't mean to say Paul that time. He says in Acts 20, 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Matthew 7, 15 says, Beware of false prophets. Now, what's a false prophet? A false prophet is someone who takes some of the truth, jumbles the truth, teaches it as truth, and you believe it and begin to follow it. He says, watch out for those people. All right? He says, watch out. Be careful. Be aware. Um, who Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, what would a false prophet coming to you in sheep's clothing look like? First, it would not look like Mary's little lamb. All right? Don't l- read it literally. Read it as in they would come in the right clothes, with the right phrases, carrying the right book, and speaking at the, wrong t- at the right time. They could look like many, many people. And confidence does not mean correctness. You can speak something confidently and be absolutely wrong. So what he's talking about are people that are convincing, charismatic, people that have knowledge, and people that prey on our insecurities of walking with God, and they begin to speak confidently, and we go, oh, they must know what they're saying. They said it this way. He says, watch out for those people. They're going to slide in here among you. So God gave us the book of Acts to tell us what the church is supposed to look like between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. But God gave us the book of Jude to tell us of the warnings that could happen also in that period of time. So let's dig into it. You can follow me on your outline now. Who sent the letter? Let's go back. Jude. Who is Jude? He's giving us his name. He's keeping with the custom of the day. Jude in Hebrew is the name Judah. Jude in Greek is the name Judas. It's a very common name. Two disciples had the name Judas. There was Judas the Iscariot, and he was bad, right? Everybody say, boo, boo him. No, we don't want him. So there was Judas Iscariot, and there was Judas, son of James. Paul met Ananias at the house of Judas in Damascus. Judas Barsabbas was a leader in the early church, and there was also Judas of Galilee. In fact, if you went through the Bible and did a tree of all the Judases, there would be about nine of them. And you say, well, how do we know that this Jude is not one of those Judes, and can we identify which one he is? I believe we can. Um, Because he also says, I am Jude, the brother of... Now, who was James the brother of? Jesus, he was the half-brother of Jesus. So now we can knock out several of those Judes, and we begin to focus on one Jude. So he says, I am Jude, Judah, Judas. I am the half-brother of James. But then he goes on more to tell us this. And you say, can you really prove that Jesus had a half-brother named James and that Jesus had a half-brother named Jude? Yes, I can. Mark 6, 3. Is this not the carpenter 
the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Okay, so Jesus, four brothers, one named James, one named Judas, and now we're beginning to hone in on it. But he keeps going because he really wants us to know who he is. He says that I am Judas, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word bondservant denotes being owned by rendering absolute selfless submission to someone. And in this case, he says, I am selflessly submitted to Jesus Christ. Now, don't you find it interesting that that's what he wants us to know about him? So let's just, let's just say for conversation's sake, I'm writing you guys a letter. And I say, hi, my name is Richard Christopher Reynolds. Now, if you Google Richard Christopher Reynolds, by the way, I am not the only one. So just on that, you would say, well, which one is it? Well, now I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to tell you that I am married to Gail for 28 years. I'm going to tell you that I'm the father of Dallas and Davis. Okay, now I'm narrowing it down because if you Google Richard Christopher Reynolds married to Patricia Gail Reynolds who has children named Dallas and Davis, guess how many you find? One. Now you know where that letter came from. It came from me. But then I go on to tell you, I'm Richard Christopher Reynolds. I'm married to Patricia Gale Reynolds for 28 years. I'm the father of Dallas. I'm the father-in-law of Russell. I am the father of Davis. I'm the grandfather of no one right now. <laughs> but we have hope. Um, so I am the this. But then I tag on there that I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Of all those descriptors that I've given you, now this is an easy question, so don't overthink it, okay? Of all those descriptors that I've given you about myself, which one is the most important? The bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is exactly right, Amos. That is the most important thing. So Jude, Judas, Judah, when he's talking to us, he doesn't say, hi, I'm Jude, the son of of Mary. He doesn't say anything to us about being the brother of Christ. He skips over that. He gives us enough to identify himself, but he skips over that and he says, hey, I am a bondservant of Christ. Well, now, if you read church history and you dig in scripture, this is something you know. He was not always that. He was not always the one that wanted to raise his hand and say, Oh, yes, Jesus. Have you ever thought about being like the brother of Jesus? I mean, that would stink. Like, what would Jesus do? You know, I mean, every Mary says, Hey, James, hey, Jude, could you be more like Jesus? No, Mom, I can't. <laughs> so, like, they're getting in trouble in school, and he's, like, making all A's. He knows everything, right? The teacher says, hey, how, how, what about this? And he says, oh, no, no, no. When I created that, this is what it was. Yeah. And now Jude, he has gone from rebellious, don't want to be identified with, 
who humbly surrender. Bondservant of Christ. I want to ask you this morning, what's your identity? When somebody walks in the room and says, who are you? Do you start throwing out what you drive, what you wear, where you live, what degrees you have, what you make? Do you pull out your phone and say, I got an iPhone 8? What's your identity? Because you see, everybody in this room has an identity. And you have in your mind right now who you think you are. Some of us, it is way too lofty. And for others of us, it is way too low. But I want to tell you that there's a perfect mark that you can hit every single time. If you let your identity be as such as the man Jude, that who you are is a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will get it right every single time. So we know who sent the letter, who was going to receive the letter. Keep with me in in verse 1. He says, I'm Jude. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I'm the brother of James. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You know, you never find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not there. The teaching of the Trinity is in the Bible. And this is one of the places that the Trinity is identified. Because we're called by the Spirit of God to become children of God. And he says, so you've been called by the Spirit, you've been sanctified, loved by the Father, and you have been preserved through Christ. Man, Jude has gotten deep here. Jude has just jumped off the deep end into the deep water. And he says, come with me because I'm fixing to load you up. Now, he tells us, this book is written to these people. Now, it's interesting when you think about books in the New Testament. Some of the books in the New Testament are written to very specific people. For all of our edification, edication, (laughs) I need some more of that, don't I? Um, To learn how to pronounce a word. Um, Education, but that's not what I was talking about. Edification. He says, some of those books are written for the specific people. Titus, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and the book of Philemon. Some of the books are written for groups of people. For example, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. Um, the book of Romans was written to the people of Rome. Some of the books were written to specific churches. 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, 1st Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians. But this book is not written to a specific person. This book is not written to a specific church. This book is written to all the saints. Everybody. That means if you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this book is written for you. He had you in mind, even though he didn't know who you were. You say, well, how did that happen? All Scripture is given by God for the building up of the body of Christ. So we're called by the Spirit. It's the Greek word kaleo. Romans 8, 29 and 30 speaks of being called. Specifically it says, those whom He called. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit called you to salvation? Do you remember the moment 
Do you remember specifically the time? Do you know where you were? Do you know what you were doing? Maybe some of you remember even what you were wearing or who was speaking. I do. I have that moment. I don't ever want to forget that moment. Some of you may not have that specific understanding right now. Doesn't mean that you were not called, but that you don't have that understanding. But I will tell you this, that maybe some of you are sitting here today and you say, you know what, I don't remember it directly. I don't remember it vaguely. And if you really pushed me on it, I'm not sure it's ever happened. Well, hear me. If you have not been called by the Spirit of God to salvation, then there needs to be a moment of soul searching. Are you the sanctified? Are you the set apart? Are you preserved in Christ? Because James says, I have an, Jude says, I have an audience. And I'm writing to you, to those called by the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm writing to those that are sanctified by the Father. That means we've been made holy by God. Do you understand that in and of yourself you cannot be made holy? You can't do enough to be holy. You can't do enough to be acceptable to God. The scripture says that there is one who offers for us the propitiation of sin, the payment of sin, and his name is Jesus. And you say, surely there's another way. Jesus was pretty adamant when he said in John 14, 6, what? I am the way, I am the, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Man, that is pretty narrow-minded of him. How dare he? But listen to me. That puts us in a very precarious position. It puts us in the position, I believe it was Josh McDowell that said, that he's either Lord, a lunatic, a liar. They've researched his claims, he's not a liar. Many have done psych evaluations on him and they found him not to be crazy. So what does that leave? That he's Lord. Now, I'm in even more of a position. Because now I am put in the awkward spot of I either have to accept him or I reject him. Man, he just made it narrower. Man, in fact, he, Rick, he spoke to that, didn't he? He said, narrows the gate. I mean, he brought it down to the point. He said, here it is, and I don't like it. Can I tell you, in my flesh, I do not like anything about that. Because I want to do it my way, my time, my glory. And Jesus spoke up and said, that cannot be. Now, that puts us in an interesting spot, because now I'm going to work on the presupposition that most, if not all of us, accept that. So here's where we have a grind with culture today. Because in the grind of this, Christians have been labeled as not loving, not caring, unaccepting. We have been labeled as narrow-minded, and we've been labeled that we don't respect people. So how do we get around that? Well, Jesus also taught that the first commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second is like it. And what is the second? 
to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when I am a believer and I walk outside these walls and I do not respect the people that I come into contact with, I am not being Christ-like. So Jude says, I'm writing to. He says, I'm writing to those that are called by the Holy Spirit. I'm writing to those who have been made holy by God. And we have been adopted into His family. We are loved. We're acceptable in His presence. And He says, I'm writing to these that have been preserved in Jesus Christ. Saints set apart, yes, but we are preserved. It means carefully watched and guarded. And He uses this word other places. He says in Jude 6, He says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, He has reserved... He's talking again about those reserved, preserved. For those who keep their eyes on Jesus, you're preserved in Christ. For those who take their eyes off of Jesus, there's reserved for you separation. God says, my part is to keep you. But look in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. Keep yourselves. It's the same word in the Greek. Preserved, reserved, kept. You do have a part. You have a part. God says, my work on the cross, the cross preserves you. But I'm giving you a choice. And in the choice, I want you to keep yourself. Now, how do I keep myself? I keep a surrendered heart. God, not my will, but your will be done. I keep a surrendered mind. Lord, today I give you my thoughts. I keep a repentant heart. How do I get that? I get that increasingly. When I surrender myself to God in His Word, I read it. I surrender myself to God in prayer. I talk to Him and I listen to Him. I surrender myself to God when I gather with the saints and we have accountability with one another. We have a part. You see, church, being a part of the church is not just having an identity of I belong to this church or that church. It's also I'm in that church to bring all that I am for the glory of God. I'm in it to win it with all the other believers that gather there. We're family. We have a responsibility for one another. He says, you're called by the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified by God the Father. You are preserved in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our hold on the Lord that keeps us. It's His hold on us. We're preserved by Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What day? The evil day. 
that when it comes, the Scripture says. He says, I have kept you. So what's the content of the letter? Now we're going to start moving faster. Because this is what he says to us in that, in that passage right there. He says, this is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. And this is what I want to give you. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Mercy. He says, I'm extending it to you. He extend, Paul and Jude and others extend grace to all their readers. But here Jude extends mercy. You know the difference, right? Grace is getting good things that we do not deserve. And mercy is not getting bad things that we do deserve. Grace takes us to heaven. Mercy gets us out of hell. Grace and mercy have important functions. Grace makes us right before God. It brings about pardon for the sinner. But mercy represents how God feels about us in the midst of our sin. God always loves you. God can't. You say, you don't know who I've been. You don't know where I've been. God loves you. That's His mercy. His grace takes you to heaven. He calls you to holiness. To live right before Him. He says, but I don't want you just to have mercy. He says, I want you to have peace. Does your life ever get a bit chaotic? Do you need peace? These people were in the midst of a conflict. What was the conflict? False teachers had come in and now they were having to pick and choose. They were having to say, is this truth? Is this not truth? They were being pulled away from God. And in the middle of that conflict, Jude says, you can have peace. You can have peace. In fact, Jesus said, I came to give you peace that passes what? All understanding. You can have peace in your life. Does this sound dogmatic? I hope it doesn't sound dogmatic, but I do hope it sounds determined. Because Jesus is telling us here, I want you to have mercy. I want you to have peace. Peace means join together that which has been separated. At the end of a war, there's a peace treaty. What does the peace treaty do? It stops the conflict. It brings two sides together. He says, I peace I give to you. I'm reconciling you who were separated from God the Father by sin. I'm reconciling you. I'm giving you by my mercy. I'm bringing you peace. I'm joining us together. And then he says, I want you to have love. Love is the agape love here. It's the love that has this unconditional They can claim the title. So what's the explanation of the letter? Jude explains why the book is written in verse 3. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary. You see, Jude wanted to walk in there and say, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's write about the day that we know that Jesus died. We know, let's write about the day that we accepted Him into our heart. Let's write about all the good things He's done for us. Let's talk about all the ways He's forgiven us, how He restored us. He said, I wanted us to have a big old group hug on Jesus. He said, but in the middle of wanting to have a group hug on Jesus, He said, I was instructed. I was commanded to take a different way to write. He said, I wanted to write feel good. He said, but now I've got to write something else. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend for the faith. Not faith. The faith. The faith. 
I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Word of God. I believe, I believe, I believe. He says, I want you to contend for that. Contend is like a boxer in the ring. You are punching. You are enduring. You're standing strong. He says, you got to contend for it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Y'all are going to sleep on me. Everybody stand up. Because the introduction of any book is not the exciting part of the book. But you better understand the truth because the truth sets you free. And I know, and I know, and I know because I read your Facebook pages, I know that some of you are being deceived today. And you need to hear me. It's not about politics. It's not about am I left or am I right. It's not about am I black or am I white or am I this or am I that. It is about I have been identified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said out of one blood he created many. And he said church you better stand up. You better listen because in among you are people that are causing you to fight for things that are the wrong thing. And there's one thing that matters and it is Jesus Christ and Him alone you need to hear that that is truth and if you get deceived it's not on anybody but you he says because I have given you my spirit and through my spirit I will guide you to all truth hear me we got to be a different group of people we got to be the church and be the church we've got to contend for the faith now we don't have to reject people we have to reject the things that are contrary to the Word of God. We can love people no matter where they are. And I want to tell you, you do a wonderful job of that. You really do. You really do. You may be seated. Thank you. Hey, I have to tell you all something really funny. You know, every week I tell you all to stay awake. <laughs> Yesterday, after lunch, I was in the ladies' conference. We've been working for six months for the ladies' conference. I have listened to everything and anything at the ladies' conference. And right after lunch, the keynote speaker comes up on the stage and with a wonderful Brazilian accent begins to teach us the Word of God. And I sit right back there in that corner. And I don't just fall asleep, but my head goes back, my eyes roll back, and I go... <laughs> From right here, they turned around, and I got a text that says, if you're going to nap, nap quieter. <laughs> so for the rest of the message, I had to contend to be awake. So I understand what I'm talking about, but it was, a, oh, it was loud. Oh, it was loud. <sighs> so we got the explanation. Jude says, I want you to fight. A logical question is, what do I fight for? He says, I want you to fight for the faith. I want you to fight for the truth. And then here's the situation of the letter, and we're done. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Unnoticed? Look at that person next to you. Now just ask him a question. Are you one of them? <laughs> I mean, you say, oh, surely not. Well, it's unnoticed. It might be. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into obscene nastiness. And they deny only one Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's some desperate times. That's some, 
things. So how do we contend for the faith? And amen. To contend for the faith, we need to study the faith. If you don't know in whom you have believed, and if you don't know in whom you believe, you can be persuaded to believe anything else. All right? That's a true statement. If you don't know, you can be deceived. And one thing I do know, that's the strategy of false teachers. They know what you believe better than what you believe. And they will get you so befuddled that you'll be agreeing with things that you don't agree with. So you study the faith. You show the faith by the way you live. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's what He wants us to do. By the way we live, they will see your good works and glorify who? Your Father in heaven. That's what He wants us to do. So we study the faith. We have ways to study the faith. Somebody right quick tell me. We have, what, how do we break up into small groups? What are they called? When do they meet? They meet Sunday. They meet some other times too. When else do they meet? Wednesday night, they meet on Wednesday morning. If you want to have one that's not on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, you just see Pastor Russell before we leave today because Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are all good days too. We'd love to have those groups going on. But he says, so study the faith, show the faith, share the faith, and then stand for the faith. I think that's where we're getting messed up in this day and time. Have you ever felt like at times you just don't know what to say anymore? I do. I do. There are times I don't know what to say. I don't know how to speak. I don't know what's the right word anymore. There's a comedian. He's African American. And he is hilarious. His name is Michael Jr. He's a Christian. And he was talking about this very thing. And he said he was standing in line behind this kind of um, rugged white guy. And the guy walked up and he said, I want a white mocha. And he said, I kind of chuckled about it. He said, I didn't know how to order my coffee. He said, because I just wanted it the way it comes out of the pot. And he said, I was in a struggle there. I didn't know what to do. But I understood what he was, the point he was making. We don't know how to live. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to talk about. But God says, if you'll get into me and get into my word, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. And he says, I'll guide you to truth. Submission to God. Standing on the truth. Surrender of the heart. Letting him guide your steps. Respect a fellow man. Loving them. To the place where you can have conversations about all of it.